Good morning. I am excited to be here this morning, excited to be uh, bringing the message uh, this morning. You guys get Pastor Luke today. Pastor Andy is uh, in Cape Girardeau this morning at one of uh, the other Free Will Baptist churches in the state called Grace Fellowship, and he is getting to uh, witness something that is uh, pretty amazing. His sister is, is being baptized today, so we're just really thankful for what God is doing in uh, CAPE and, and Grace Fellowship and, and the way that that is supported through the Show Me Plan. And, but I'm excited for what God is going to do here uh, today. It's, it's pretty special whenever you have a 10-year-old boy that's praying for you up here in the message. And, and that's just, uh, I'm just excited to see what God has in store for us today. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're going to be reading and starting reading in verse 112. And fun little fact here, the uh, uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's, got, it's just crazy the amount of, of scripture that's in here. And every single thing in Psalm 119, it starts talking about, it talks about the word of God in, in some way, shape, or form and how it affects our lives. But the thing that that I want to talk about this morning is the heart. And if you were to ask a uh, medical professional, such as my wife, who's an RN, (laughs) I asked her, what what is the heart? And she said, well, it's it's the muscle that pumps blood through your body. And then she was like, wait, are are you going to be talking about this? Are you going to use this in your sermon? Because it's got ventricles and there's arteries. And I was like, no, I just need to know exactly what you said right there. Right? Because that's technically what the heart is. But then we look into scripture and we see that the Bible talks about the heart in a little bit different way than just a, a muscle that pumps blood throughout our body. That it is uh, more along the lines of the seat of emotions that is the ruling center of the body, of the whole body. That whenever we have uh, our, our thoughts and desires and everything stems from the heart. That even today in our time, we use the, the term heart to mean certain things. That whenever a sports team is, is playing a, an opponent and they're giving it everything that they have, whether they win or lose, we say, man, they, they, they played their heart out. They, they gave it everything that they had, their drive, their determination to do something. We see it in a, in a project or, or something that we do that, that we are passionate about. That, that people say, man, he, he or she just, that she put her heart into it, or he put her, his heart into it. That it's not so much the, the function of, of what we know the heart to be, but it is the personality, the character, the drive of the person. And so either way we look at it, it what happens in our lives, it starts with the heart, You don't need, another fun little fact here, you don't have to have the brain telling the heart what to do to have it work. It just does it. It starts with the heart doing this, and then everything else comes and falls into order. The same thing that we see in in our lives and, and the other definition of the heart and the way that Scripture defines the heart, that whenever God is wanting to make a change and to do something with somebody in their lives, to be the person that God created them to be, it starts with their heart. 
And so we, we, we get into to some scripture and we see this throughout scripture. We see it in, in Nehemiah that God takes him and uses him to stir a passion inside of Nehemiah's heart to go and rebuild a wall for um, God's people. And then that leads to Nehemiah starting to bring back God's people into um, a, a relationship with God and trusting in him and what he had planned for them. We see that in, in Paul that in his life that, that God meets him, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and he starts telling uh, Paul, Paul why, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That he, he helps Paul realize that, that these things that, Saul is doing in this life is hurting Christians. It's not beneficial. It's not good. And so he changes his heart to allow Paul to write all of these letters of the, the New Testament and, and to do everything, all of the great and amazing accomplishments that Paul start, had accomplished. And it started with his heart. We see that Peter, that one of Jesus' disciples, one of the uh, people that was not the brightest of all of the people that God could have used. He, there was nothing really special um, as far as achievement-wise or success that, that Peter had done to give him the uh, position of being one of Jesus' disciples, and, a, and of that, one of Jesus' closest disciples. But he, he stuck his foot in his mouth a lot. He, he did things that were just overkill on things. But if there was one thing that Peter had was that he had heart. And so God uses people and changes their heart to do things that, that he is wanting us to, to do in our lives, to not just to follow our own desires, to do our own things, but take and, and allow our hearts to be the start of where God wants to take us in life. So we're going to read in Psalm 119, and we're going to start in verse 112. So read with me. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Pray with me this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you. and We are so thankful to be in your house and in your presence this morning. To be able to sing these songs of praise, to worship to just give all of the glory to you, dear Heavenly Father. And this morning, I just ask that, that none of this would be uh, about me, that it, it would not be my message, but it would be your message directly, that you would just use me as a spokesperson and that you would use um, your word to, to reach people in a way that, that they might not be reached otherwise. I'm so thankful for this opportunity and, and just to be able to open your word and to study it and to apply it to my own life. And I hope that it touches someone as much as it has touched me. I'm thankful for your love and your care and for all of these people here this morning. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. And so we see here that, that as it starts out, the psalmist is writing this. He, he, he says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever and to the end. The way that change begins is whenever we incline our hearts. And the thing that we need to notice here is that in, in, in this particular version, a translation of the Bible, I love the way that it puts it because it doesn't say I inclined my heart, but I incline, that there is a constant there. 
That it's not just taking something and it's saying, well, I inclined my heart one time whenever I was such and such age and I set it to wherever it is right now and I never had to mess with it again. That by me inclining my heart one time in my life, that everything else just goes smooth because once I'm a believer, then nothing goes wrong. Nothing bad happens to me in my life. I don't face trials of any kind. There's nothing, there's no problems in this world, right? No. Because we do, we know that we face things. And so there's this idea that it's a constant incline, that we are constantly inclining our heart to God, that we're stepping out of our desires, out of our wants, what we think is good, and start inclining our heart to God to see what he ultimately wants, to see what he says is beneficial for us and start following what he decides is gonna be best for our lives. I know a lot of times that Sometimes what we think we want and what we think we need and the desires that we have aren't always beneficial. Me and my wife, Maddie, we have two dogs right now. Maddie wants another dog. That is not something that we need right now. That's not something that's good. She's all the time saying, oh, can we please, can we please? And I'm like, no, we don't need another dog. It's too much. It's not something that's beneficial for us. <laughs> That was a terrible analogy, but you guys get the picture. (laughs) There's this idea that sometimes the things that we want and desire isn't always best for us. And so we need to incline our heart to what God wants us to do, because more than likely, he loves us so much and cares for us because he created us that he has plans for us that is going to be beneficial. So we need to trust in him. The the next part of, of what the scripture goes into whenever we read in verse 113, I believe shows us what it looks like to incline our hearts, to have an inclined heart, to keep it inclined and to focus on these things, to keep his statutes, to to keep our mind and heart on God at all times. And so he starts off by saying, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The thing that I think we need to realize is we need to know what to hate. To be able to incline our hearts to God, we need to know what to hate. We need to know what God hates. And that's a hard word, right? We're thinking, man, hate, or that's, that's harsh. Or, or, we're Christians. Do we really use that word? And I think sometimes whenever we use the word hate, it helps us to see and, 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 and hold on to and really appreciate the things that God has blessed us with and the things that we love. And so we look in 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to kind of summarize this. This is the the history of David and Goliath, and I'm going to kind of just go through here. But if you guys want to go back through and read that, I'm going to use this kind of as a following point to uh, this idea that the psalmist is using for these three different points of of, what we start out in and hating the double-minded. And so we see in in 1 Samuel 17 that uh, David was the son of Jesse. And there were these two armies. You had the Israelite army and the Philistine army, and they were camped on either side of this valley. They were on one side, and this one was on the other side. And what they did was they would, they would stay there, and they would camp out for a long time because as soon as one army went down into the valley, then that mean, meant that the other army would have an advantage over them, that they would have advantage of the higher ground. So they would sit and camp out and just kind of wait it out and, and for strategy purposes. But during this time, David, uh, which was a boy of about 15 years old, some of them seemed to think that he was young, um, 
David had some brothers that was in the Israelite army. And his father sent him to, this, to the Israelite army to bring his brothers some food and different things like that. And so while David is traveling uh, to meet the Israelite army, he comes up on them, and there is this giant of a man named Goliath that stood nine foot nine inches tall that was just a, a monster of a guy, and he is challenging the Israelite army. He's saying that I am the champion for the Philistine army. Send out your best man, the best guy that you've got, and I'll fight him. And the reason why they did this was it was to save bloodshed, that, that two armies, tons of people wouldn't have to die, but that you could take one champion from one army and one champion from the other and fight them, and then whoever won it, they, they could overtake that other army that they would surrender to them. And so what you had was Goliath, and he was challenging all of the Israelite army, and he said, send out your best man, send out the strongest person that you have, and I'll take them on, I'll fight them. And so uh, David sees these people, and, and the Israelites, they're scared, they're terrified of what's going on. They're, they're like, we don't want none of this guy, he's the man. And even the king, King Saul, Whenever during this time, whenever uh, nobody would stand up and there wasn't a champion to fight the opposing side, it was the king's duty and obligation because he cared for the well-being of his people that he would step up and, and, and challenge the, the champion of the opposing side. But even Saul was so scared that he didn't want to challenge Goliath. And so then you've got this 15-year-old boy and he's just bebopping up through here. And I, and, and I don't know why I get this imagery, but if you've ever met Dylan Jameson, this is the, the idea I get of, of David. Like, this this little scrawny kid walking up through there, you know? And he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the one true God? You see, David knew what to hate. He knew what to hate. He didn't hate Goliath, but he hated what Goliath stood for, what Goliath was going against. He didn't hate the fact that, he didn't hate the Israelite army and the men that were surrounded by him. He, his brothers were there, but he hated their unbelief that this sin caused all of these things and that it, that it was causing unbelief, that it was causing doubt, that it was causing feelings of, of, of worry and anxiety. David knew what to hate. And I'm asking you this morning, do you know what to hate? Do you know that, that we hate sin, not the sinner? A lot of the times we want to say, well, well man, I have to tell you, I cannot stand that person and what they do and, and everything in it. Guys, that's wrong. We shouldn't hate the person. God's word tells us that Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us, that it was for every single one of us, not just picking and choosing who and, and which one. That it was for each and every one of us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we aren't better than someone else, that someone's not worse off than us, that we should hate that person. David didn't hate Goliath. I don't believe that for a second, but I think he hated what Goliath stood for. He didn't hate the Israelite army, but he hated that the Israelite army was not believing in the one true God that has delivered them countless times again and again. We cannot hate the sinner. We need to hate the sin. And let me tell you something else that we need to hate. You don't just hate one sin and you don't hate the other. You hate it all. 
You don't pick and choose and say that addiction is some of the worst sin that you can possibly imagine, that it's terrible, that stealing and, and, and cheating and all of these things are the worst thing possible, that it's nasty, that it's, that it's terrible. I can't believe that somebody would do something like that, that that is the worst sin out there. But then you find a way to um, take advantage of somebody on, on, a, on a, a, a deal or, or something along those lines and think, oh, maybe this isn't, this isn't that bad. Or you tell a little white lie and you say, eh, is it really hurting anybody? Or you take a, a, another sin and you say, well, this isn't affecting anybody else. It's just affecting me. So that doesn't matter as much. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, it's just affecting me, then that's what really makes the difference. We need to recognize that it doesn't matter what sin it is, but that we hate it beyond anything. The next thing that we need to realize is that we need to hate what sin does to us in our lives. You ever sat in a chair and you've sat there for a long time and you're sitting there and you're like, man, oh, this is so uncomfortable. This is discomfort. I'm hurting. I don't feel very well. And what do you do? You move, right? To get more comfortable, to, to get in a place where it feels a little bit better. And a lot of the times what sin does to us in our lives, we need to hate it because it causes discomfort. But I think that the good thing that comes from that is that God uses that discomfort in our lives to bring us out of it and to say, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be on this decline anymore, but I want to incline my heart to God because maybe, just maybe, he's got a plan for me and he's got a desire to bring me out of this situation, out of this uncomfortableness. But we've got to hate it. We've got to hate what it does to us. We've got to hate the, the way that we feel whenever we are are in the middle of our sin and everything that it's done. It's hurt our relationships. It's hurt our, our relationship with God. It's hurt our relationship with our families, our friends. We've got to hate the way that it harms others, the way that it separates us from God. We've got to recognize that we have to hate what sin does to us and does in our lives. So many times we just think, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's really not hurting anything. But it's whenever we're at our bottom, at our lowest, that I think that change begins. You can't get any lower, so you have to incline. This discomfort leads to movement. I love the way that that, that looks right there, the way that that sounds, that we need to pick ourselves up out of it. And it's going to be our job to do that sometimes. If you're upset with the way things are going and the way that uh, your, your wife treats you or you hate the people that are, or hate the way that nobody's ever there for you, sometimes maybe you need to start doing something about it. It's gonna cause movement and that's a good thing. Sometimes it's saying, well, my, my, my kids don't respect me. My wife doesn't respect me. My husband doesn't respect me. Maybe you should start doing things that are respectable. Maybe, well, nobody's ever there for me. Nobody ever talks to me. Nobody uh, loves me. Maybe you should start finding different friends. That's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? That we should try and do that. But sometimes that's the best thing for us. If we're uncomfortable about the situation, it's gonna cause us to move. We go on through uh, the, the scripture and it, in verse 114, it says, you are my hiding place, and my shield. We got to know where to hide. We know what to hate. 
We got to know where to hide. If we want to incline our hearts to God, we need to know where to hide. We see also in the story of David and Goliath is, as David is uh, made this comment about uh, Goliath and, and is asking what is going on with uh, why nobody will challenge him, nobody will step up and step out. We see that David, the talk of, of what David is saying gets word back to the king. And the king sends for David and he asks him to come here and he sees the guy and sees the kid that he is and he says, you can't, you can't fight Goliath. What, what are you doing? You, you're unexperienced, you're untrained, you're young. You don't have anything to, to fight with. You don't have armor. You, you can't do this. But David says, yes, I can, because God has delivered me multiple times and I have seen him deliver me multiple times and he will deliver me this time because I am fighting for him. And so Saul, it's just amazing to me that this 15-year-old boy, however old he was, this little scrawny boy that's getting ready to go and face this giant of a man, Paul, or Saul actually gets it in his head, hey, this is a good idea. Okay, let's try it out. Let's send you in. You know, like imagine the confidence that David must have displayed inside himself, that he trusted in God with all his heart, that he knew that there was no other option but to fight this man because he was defying the armies of God. That's, that's pretty courageous, really, when you think about it. And so David gets up and, he, and, and Saul's like, okay, we're, we're, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna bring you my own armor. So Saul brings out his armor for David, starts piling on him, gives him his sword and, and, and spear and everything. And, and David's just weighed down by all this armor. And he's like, I, I can't do this. I can't use these things. And the, and the words that he uses in there is he says, for I have not tested them. You see, David didn't need to hide behind Saul's armor. He didn't need to hide behind his brothers. He didn't need to hide behind the next guy or the next person to come in and step up and, and fight the Philistine army because he hid behind the one true God. He hid behind the, the refuge and the shield of what God says to be true and that nobody should defy him, that nobody can conquer him, that, that he is above all other things and that David believed that he could, he could hide behind God because he had, he had seen it happen multiple times. We need to know where to hide. A lot of the times we find hiding places in many different things. We go through and we find it in drugs, in addictions, in alcohol, in, in things that we are looking up on the internet that we probably shouldn't be looking up in the first place. And that becomes our hiding place because we find solitude or, or we find something that self-gratification. There's something there that, that makes us feel good in the moment. I, I talked to somebody else the other day and, and, and we got to talking about blame and how we hide behind blaming others as a hiding place. We, we say, well, I'm sorry, but if you wouldn't have done what you did, then I wouldn't have acted that way. We, we hide behind other, blaming other people so we don't ever actually have to feel sorry for what we've done. Maddie, quit looking at me. 
<laughs> but there's this idea, but that's what happens. It causes us to hide behind these things. We, we had a Bible study uh, with my grandparents the, the other day, and, and we were kind of reading through some of this scripture. And, and the thing that really stuck out to me is, is I got to asking myself, I said, what am, what is, where's my hiding place? Where do I hide? And there was this idea, that, this word that popped into my mind, and it was inadequate. And what that caused me to do was I started seeing myself as being inadequate, that I wasn't somebody that, that was better than who I was, that there were other people more suited to do what I do, that there were other people that were more qualified to do what I do. And whenever I got to thinking like that, then it causes other people to feel that same way. Well, if I don't think that I'm adequate for this responsibility, then who else is going to think that I'm adequate for this responsibility? That if, that if I don't think that I can do this, then why would somebody expect me to do it in the first place? And so it takes all of the pressure off and it causes a hiding place where I don't have to be responsible for anything. I don't have to be responsible for what God wants me to do and in, in the way that he wants to shape me and use me in this life. But I can just hide behind this feeling of, well, I'm just not good enough. And so what happens is, instead of this becoming a hiding place that is safe and secure, it starts becoming a cage that traps and ensnares you and leaves you in a place where God can't use you because you can't get out of the spot that you put yourself in in the first place. We need to know where to hide. David knew to hide behind God. We need to know that we can hide behind God. That we have seen Things happen countless times where God has delivered us, that he has helped us get through certain things. And I'm telling you here this morning that if you don't know that, you have the opportunity to today. That Jesus Christ has died for our sins, that we have a hope in him that, that we have never experienced or could ever hope to match in any way possible. That that he loves and cares for us, that he created us just to be loved by him. And we can hide behind that. We can hide behind God's word and what the Bible says, that whenever we're struggling, whenever we're hurting, whenever we're doubting things, that we can open up his scripture and says that God loves us, that, that he will put a hedge of protection around us, that whenever we trust in him, that, that he will make all of his ways known to us. There's so many different things that if we can't spend time in God's word, then we can spend in, in hide and surrounding ourselves with God's people. That we don't look for things that are in our lives today that are, are bringing us down, but we're surrounding ourselves that, by people that are building us up. And who better to do that than God's people? That's exactly what they do. That's why we're here. It's to encourage us. God never meant for us to do things alone. That's why he created relationships, unity. That's why he created us as a whole, as a church, as the body of Christ. And so we need to know where to hide. This last verse, we, we, we uh, finished reading. It says, I hope in your word. We need to know what to hate. We need to know where to hide. And we need to know how to hope. We, going back to uh, the history of David and Goliath, David is uh, getting ready to face Goliath. And as he's going up there, 
David or uh, Goliath is towering over David and, and starts mocking him and starts mocking God and saying that that I am going to destroy you, that I'm going to feed you to the birds and and the rest of the Israelite army and all of these things. See, Goliath put his hope in his physicalness, in his physical body, in his limited, just physical body. Everything that he could do, that's what he put his hope in. And David gets up to him and David says, the Lord does not deliver with sword and spear, but he, this battle is the Lord's and he will deliver me this day. You see, you see the same type of hope, this expectation, this, this passionate, this, this drive and determination, this heart of David that he steps up and he's basically saying, there is no other choice but for me to win because God is on my side. And that's how we need to hope, folks. That's how we need to understand and realize that we need to expect the outcome that we are looking for. That we are expecting God to move in a way that is gonna bring us closer to him, that it's gonna impact our lives, that's gonna change our lives. That we're not sitting there and we're looking back and we're like, oh boy, I hope God sure does move today. Man, I just really hope he's going to move. I don't know if he's going to do it or not. I'm not going to open my Bible until he moves. Boy. Mm. But if you want to expect and you want to hope for God to move in your life, you need to do something about it. You need to have that Bible open. You need to have it ready for you, ready for God to just speak to you in a way that you just are waiting for him to speak to you in and expect him to move in the way that he says he moves. And we need to hope and not hope in, in it happening in our timing. That we, we sometimes we get trapped in that, you know. We, we, we pray for something and it doesn't happen in, in the split second that we ask for it. And so we think, well, guess that ain't gonna work. But we hope and pray that God is going to deliver us in his timing, in his perfection, because he knows what's best for us and we can trust in that. That we hope in the one true God. This morning, I ask that, that we know how to hope. That we have a hope in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ came on this earth to die for our sin. That sin that we've been hanging on to, that we've been holding on to, Jesus died for that. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it because God said, this is what I want you to do and you have to do it and, and this, is, this is the way that it's gotta be. But he did it because he loved us. We did it, he did it because he knew this was going to bring us back into a relationship with God, into a relationship with him. And that's what he has wanted all along. And God says that whenever he was gonna deliver us, that whenever he was gonna deliver the Israelites, he came through on what he said that whenever he said, I'm going to uh, provide a way for you to come to the Father, and that way is through me, and he provides a way, and we've got to hope and expect that he's going to say what he does, or he's going to do what he says. And we have that opportunity to do that this morning. We have that opportunity to step out and, and stop hating the things that we shouldn't hate to start hiding, getting away from these hiding places that are causing us to cage us and to trap us and to ensnare us and to hold us back from where God wants us to be at. We have an opportunity to incline our hearts, to hope and, and, and see the goodness that God has given us. 
But it starts with our heart. And we can take this and, and spin it a 10, 15 different ways. That, that God, you know, by doing these certain things and doing these certain steps, that this will uh, help us defeat the giants in our lives. There's no doubt that we don't have giants in our lives, right? Things that are, are, are holding us back, that are, that are bringing us down, that's, that's keeping us from being where God wants us to be at, that we're struggling with. There's no doubt. We don't like talking about it, but they're there anyways. We try to shove them in a corner and keep them away, but they keep building up and keep coming at us. And we can spin this and say that these three things, these hate, hide, and hope, will help us incline our hearts so we don't have to, we can overcome these giants in our lives. But more importantly than that, I think it defeats the giant on the inside. Because I feel like our biggest adversary sometimes isn't the things that we're facing on the outside, but it's the thing that we're facing on the inside. It's the way our heart is. It's the attitude of our heart that we aren't hating the things that we need to be hating and, and, and to love the things that we need to love. That we're not hiding behind the right things and it's causing us to fall further and further away from God. That we're not hoping in our true savior, Jesus Christ. That even if things aren't going the way that I expect them to go, that I still have a hope and faith that Jesus cares and loves for me and that no matter what, he's always gonna be there for me no matter what. And so this morning, as, as we have the uh, band come up and we have an invitation, I, I, I'm asking you this morning, are you inclining your hearts? Are you giving God an opportunity to be able to lead you and use you in the way that he wants to? Or are you still holding back from the things that, holding on to the things that, that are keeping you from God? You see, I don't think that David's greatest accomplishment was feeding, defeating Goliath. That was God 100%. David couldn't have defeated that guy. He was a giant of a man. He was huge. He stood taller than nine feet high. David was just a little scared runt that didn't know anything. But it started with his heart. And whenever he inclined his heart to God, that's when everything started to change. That God started being able to use him. David's biggest accomplishment was that he inclined his heart to God. And so I asked this morning, where is your heart? What are you holding on to that you don't need to be holding on to anymore? Where are you hiding at that you need to get out and get away from? God is giving you this opportunity this morning as we stand to be able to recognize that Jesus Christ is our Lord. To be able to recognize the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. To get away from the addictions, the stress, the holding, the things that are holding us back and to step out and step away from them and to realize that I hate this. I hate being in this state that I'm in right now. I hate dealing with the things that I'm dealing with because it's hurting me and it's causing me pain and I want to get out of it and I want to get away from it and I want to incline my heart to God. It starts this morning and it starts with your heart. And it can be this day today that your life changes for the rest of your life.
that you say, I'm done with this. I'm inclining my heart to God. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I just ask that...